Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Karina Chase. She's joining us from New York. Uh, and she is one of four authors. It was a team effort uh, to write the book, The Five Lost Superpowers. Uh, there we are. Why we lose them and how to get them back. Uh, Karina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Great. So um, these five lost superpowers, like, <laughs> what are they? And, and how did we lose them? <laughs> <laughs> That, that was our question. What are they and how do we lose them? Exactly. Um, so the five lost superpowers are uh, curiosity, authenticity, resilience, playfulness, and compassion. Um, and my team, we, I wrote this book, as you mentioned, uh, with a team of people that I work with uh, at a company called the JM Reed Group. We do development and training. Um, we... Well, we talked about in our training, we would talk a lot about with, with leaders and also with experts, uh, the power of curiosity and how curiosity could open up sort of a lens into um, broader topics, broader ways of thinking, you know, especially for experts um, and people who are, are applauded and validated for their expertise in something, um, the need to sort of break out of the reward and validation they're getting for that expertise um, all the time, especially in this world as it's expanding now. We talk in this book a lot about a VUCA world, a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, um, and how this superpower uh, of curiosity can help you open up and ask questions and look at different things and have more awe and wonder um, and help sort of expand your um, your vision, your way of thinking. Poke, you know, poke at different things, both in terms of your leadership and just sort of what you're looking at and what you're paying attention to, and how that impacts your thinking. And one of the things that we would talk a lot about when we would um, train and, and work with people on curiosity is uh, where the heck it went, because children are wildly and wonderfully curious. Um, there's, there's research around the, the ways in which they think, um, that, that shows us that they're, they're just taking in so much different data, um, and, and the way that they're using it is so creative and imaginative. And then what happens to that? Like oh, over time, we become less and less curious. We see objects and, and things around us and get more and more, um, sort of boxed and compartmentalized about what we're supposed to do with that. You know, the whole thing about how after Christmas, the kids, the thing that kids are playing with are the boxes, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They, they just see if, if you put a kid in a room and there's no toys, but within 20 minutes, they've turned different things into toys and they've got games going and they can't step on that crack. And they're imagining a pool of lava on the floor and they're jumping on the couches. So there's sort of this wonderful way of looking at the world and, and what's the benefit of holding on to that trait um, as adults, so that made us think during, so we had this pandemic came along and something that John, the John Reed, the head of our company, been thinking about a lot is if that happens with curiosity, that's not the only thing that's happening with, right? There's, mm. there's these other traits and things that we are great at as kids that the world sort of strips away over time. Um, and how can we re-harness those? Another thing we would talk about a lot is playfulness. Um, with that, you know, we, we were often encouraging um, leaders to, to play ahead taller and embrace their playfulness to come up with more sort of imaginative and broad solutions and ideas. So we got together and said, what else? What else is, are the things that we excel at and are great at and make us wonderful, make us want to be around children that also serve us really well as adults? Um, and, and we sort of came up with the last three, which were authenticity, resilience, and compassion. Right. Uh, and then we dug into those and sort of how, how, how they show up as children. What happens? <laughs> what happens? Why do they go away? Which is, you know, the world, middle school, our parents, the education system. Um, and then the book is very much about um, how do we get them back? What, what, what are some things that we can do? Um, to re-harness these things, these wonderful things that are in us. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And because uh, I've got kids who are four years old, so I'm seeing uh, all of that, right? They've got all of that in spades. I mean, <laughs> not always compassion. Like kids at that age can still be like, 
sociopathic on, on occasions, but they can also be extremely uh, compassionate, right? Yeah. And yeah, so- yeah. And the compassion is, we talked about that one quite a bit. And Andrew wrote that chapter and he's a school teacher. And, and he had some stories of, of just seeing some amazing, of seeing the children have compassion for each other in a way, and the teachers not having that same compassion. And, and, and one thing that, that we thought was really important about the compassion piece with kids is that the thing that they are less focused on is, is who deserves compassion, right? The, because, they, because they haven't gone through the phase yet as much of othering the in-groups and out-groups and the thing we go through where, okay, sure, people like us deserve compassion, um, but those people over there no, don't necessarily deserve compassion. So they're, they're more broadly compassionate children. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. And I think, yeah, and, and I... I mean, and my son, one of my sons sometimes will shame me and he seems to be particularly strong on the compassion. And like when one of them's acted up. So even if one of my sons, they're both they're like fraternal twins, has just hit the other one. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I say to the to the, you know, to the miscreant, right, you know, oh, you know, you should be hitting. Stop that. And say sorry. And like, I'll be quite stern with the other one. Otto, who's just been hit, it's like, daddy, daddy, let it go. It's all right. Don't worry. So that's what's fascinating. Yeah, so they don't yeah. have the same sense of like righteousness, right? They mm-hmm. just see someone in pain and they they want to help that person get out of their pain. Like some of the time, right? They can they can also be cruel, but that is there, right? As a very exactly. strong trait. I think that's a good d- distinction. And, and it is one that Andrew makes. It's that... Um, it's not that they can't be cruel, but something happens when they see somebody in pain. The instinct mm. is to relieve the pain in another human mm. being. Mm. And of course, that's the wonderful thing about compassion versus something like sympathy or empathy, that it is, it's an impulse to do something, to actually relieve pain or, and, and make it something better for another human being. Yeah, and that was something that I, I like that that sharpening of the distinction of compassion in the book, which I haven't really dwelt on too much, but it, 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 compassion is defined when it gives us an impulse to actually act. And of course, that's what my son is doing in that moment. He's saying, daddy, stop telling him off, basically, right? Just right, leave him exactly. alone. It's a, uh, I'm he, doesn't, fine. he doesn't like being told off, stop doing it. Yeah. Right, right. I see the way that's landing on him and I don't mm. like that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right. And sometimes, you know, I guess the, the, those classic experiments when someone's like on the street and we just walk by, yeah, it, I mean, they're quite they're quite mm-hmm. painful to watch, aren't they? Sometimes, partly Very because we, you, I sort of see myself in it, and I think, God, yeah, there's probably a few times I've walked past, past people in depressed and just you know walk on by. Um, yeah, yeah, because we learn about we learn about who's you know unconsciously, consciously, we make decisions about who's worthy of action and compassion, whether it's because of circumstances in the world or who we associate with or or whatever it is, or survival. <laughs> Right. The old the old survival tribal survival instinct is 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 huge. And yeah, we don't have it as much when we're when we're young kids. Yeah. Yeah. We just it's almost like we're much closer to that instinct of, okay, this person is in pain. How can I get them out of pain? Yes. Yes. Which is wonderful. Like what a wonderful thing to get back to. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, Right. I mean, especially if you think about leadership and. The, the the ability to to see something and and do something, even if it's just have a conversation or acknowledge um, what what you see happening, the grown up world, the business world, it can make us so so sort of um, you know I, one of the one of the themes in the book is how um, sort of um, outcome driven <laughs> we become as grown ups and how outcome driven we are in the business world and that can shut down compassion that can shut down all of it it shuts down curiosity it shuts down um playfulness it shuts down even even authenticity right we're just sort of driving towards these goals and these outcomes and and what does that do to us and all of these qualities that we yeah you know, from yeah that's right and what just comes to mind is this is a speech i remember att- attending early in my career um called make the but the boat go faster and it was by an ex-olympic rower and i think you may even have written a book with a title but but basically the idea is don't do anything if if it's not making the bike the boat go faster don't do mm. it right mm. if it's not if it's not getting you to win your gold medal just just cut it out and there was just this ruthless focus on only doing things that contributed as you say to the outcome 
Mm-hmm. And of course, that may be absolutely the way to go win a gold medal. But what do we, yeah, what do we lose in that? Yeah, and in organizations with a bunch of humans working together, all trying to have some sense of ownership and purpose and all of these things, right, that we, we know at this point very well humans want, um, that doesn't work. And and gosh, are we seeing evidence of that right now with I don't know if it, over in England they're talking about this as much as here, but this idea of the great resignation and, and all, all the people that are leaving, leaving their jobs. They had too much time to think over the <laughs> pandemic. And they're saying, wait a minute, this is nonsense. I'm getting out of here. Well, so that a lot makes of sense because it's it is kind of interesting how when you look at the stats that Gallup do and how many people are disengaged. What is it? Over mm, two thirds of the workforce are, are you know disengaged, and a big proportion of them are like actively disengaged, like they're trying to sabotage their own company. Yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, it's sort of interesting that more people don't resign, right? That there is so many mm-hmm. people in the workforce given that. Um, but yeah, yeah well, of course, you know, the, of course, just the need, the need to be employed is it, what that tells you is how many people are working 100% so that they can bring home a paycheck to their families. Right, right. Um, right. And so as soon as you get any kind of flexibility or recognition that that's not necessary, that there might be another way or path, you're out of there. And maybe that's part of what the pandemic showed people. Yeah, maybe it's given people a bit, as you say, a bit more time to reflect, to look at other opportunities. Maybe there were mm-hmm. there were opportunities in their local area they hadn't hadn't you know realized were available before. And yeah, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, so, yeah. of course, you know, and in addition to doing the the, the training that that I do with JM Reed Group, I, I'm a co- an executive coach and I work with leaders, but I also work with um, individual contributors and people sort of at other levels in the organization. And the wonderful thing about that is that I get to talk to people about what they're missing and what they want to be seeing in their leaders um, and why they are mm-hmm. always thinking about whether or not to stay. <laughs> and it really has so much to do. And we know this. I mean, the research says this, but of course, to be in conversation with people that are really working through why it doesn't feel good to them, why it doesn't feel like enough, even though they've got a great paycheck. Um, and it does have so much to do with wanting, wanting more and wanting to feel like they can, they are going to be surrounded by a community of people that are curious and resilient and authentic and playful and, you know, <laughs> all of these things. So I, I don't know, there's a definite business case, um, both to cultivating these things as a leader, but also a, oh gosh, who doesn't want to be all of these things? And who doesn't want to be around people? Right, that are playful and curious and authentic, and yeah, and I, I suppose my experience, even with my own journey, but some of that is that even like, like intellectually, like I get that, like I, those are all things mm-hmm. that intellectually I can conceive, you know, that I'd want more of in my life. I still often have to deal with quite a lot of my own stuff to allow that to come out, right? Like the playfulness, for example, it's like you know, there are just moments where I'm like, well, do I be playful here and make a joke and and and, and do something odd? And like risk social opprobrium, or do I, you know, just sort of stay still, you know, and don't do that? Right? Yeah. It's like it can, yeah. It, there, there's a process, right? That mm-hmm. that people, individuals, need to go through, even if the environment's conducive to actually step into some of these, yeah, ways of mm. being. Yeah, that's one of the things I talk about in the authenticity chapter. Is uh, how, how do we figure that out? Like, how, what does that even mean? Like, who 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 are we as a, what are our authentic selves? And that one of the things that I think a lot of us do is, is define that a little bit too narrowly. At some point we decide, okay, this is who I am and this is how I operate in the world. Um, and then if a situation or a person or a dynamic demands something else from us and we try to flex to that, Sometimes I think we feel confused. Well, are we flexing to this environment or am I like having to wildly go out of my comfort zone and not be authentic and um, sort of argue, you know, as Walt, Mitten, as Walt Whitman said, we are we are wide, we are large, we contain multitudes. Yes. That if we can kind of play around with the edges of who we uh, think we are and how we usually operate. Most of us will find that there's a lot more area that we can play around in. Uh, where we're still authentic, we're still being true to who we are and what we think and what we believe. Um, and sort of being playful with those edges can help us expand our sense of authenticity and who we are. 
Um, and then clearly, of course, notice when, you know what, I have been doing that, but every day I go to work and every day I'm pretending. I'm pretending to think something is funny and I'm pretending to like the way that person does that. And I'm pretending to value the way that we operate around here. And then, of course, that is, that's something different. Um, but if we're just, you know, maybe just playing, playing around with how we communicate a little bit, or maybe we'll put on some nicer clothing or whatever it is, what's inside of us that enables us to still show up as we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking what, what to come, come to mind is like, I've, I've written this comedy sketch, right. That, uh, hmm. And I've got a friend who might be up for doing it. And like, we're just working out like the logistics of how we might film it. But there's this huge part of me. It's like, Oh, but I've got this like serious business podcast, you know, that we get into philosophy <laughs> and, you know, like the meaning of being human. And, and now what I'm just going to go do like a comedy sketch on YouTube. Like, that conversation is going on in my head. And I'm sure that must go on for people who like, like they read books like your book and they're like, yeah, but am I kind of ready to be authentic and playful? And like, what's going to happen? Are all right. my clients going to think I'm like something else now? And it's, yeah, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, it, there's something about courage, right? In, in for sure. stepping into these spaces and just like trusting that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And that you can, you can test it a little bit. Um, as well. I mean, of course, the process of coaching has very much to do with, oh, I want to do more of this or be more like this or try this, but I'm afraid, you know, and then you do all these things. Well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you put this comedy set up on YouTube? Like, are, is your whole business going to crumble? <laughs> right? Or like maybe maybe three potential clients are going to scratch their chins and be like, what, what was that about? <laughs> and maybe you'll have some great answer. <laughs> that was about exploring playfulness. Um, there you go. Yeah, I've got my so, answer. <laughs> I didn't intend yeah. this to be my coaching session. <laughs> and then what's the worst thing that, that could happen? And, and a lot of times the worst thing isn't really that, that bad. And, and then if it is like, how, well, how afraid of you are, uh, of that are you? And, and then you can kind of gauge whether or not you want to take the risk. But in, in, in most coaching processes, people come to realize that they're, they're holding themselves back based on a lot of scenarios that are pretty unrealistic. Um, and that there's, there are ways to, to, to take some mini steps, um, mm. and, and test these things out and see if the world falls apart. Um, but as you just said, you know, all these gal, like the, the research says, everybody's looking for more of this. Everybody yeah. would like the people around them to be more of all of these things, <laughs> more authentic, more compassionate, more playful, more resilient, right? We're all, we're all looking for these things. They feel good. They look good. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, the how do we change the world? The only really way we've got to change the world is changing ourselves, right? And then we give permission to everybody around us to show up differently, right? That's exactly seems to be the, the secret of life at some level. Like it, it's all on us. And so, yeah, maybe by me doing my comedy sketch, right? Let somebody else look at that. Oh, maybe, maybe I could, you know, do something. And that's how it works, right? And then it, we just, we just create this environment that we then step into. Um, so I'm interested. Yeah. Got, uh, well, of the five, or maybe there's anything else through the process of writing this book, have, have there been any edges that you've kind of stepped into yourself where you've you've needed to take yourself on and and try out new behaviors or ways of being? Well, I think you know, I really li- I I really liked the resilience chapter because it it feels like, especially in the world today, it's a thing that that so many people want, right? Resilient. They feel like I need to be resilient. I want to be more resilient. And, and I, one of the things I like about the book is that it, it gives you ideas for how to take these things on. Um, and so I, I have the, the resilience chapter sort of summed up some things that I try to do anyway, but said, here, these really are going to make you more resilient, you know, like really being aware of your locus of control um, and believing you have a locus of control is something Lene um, focuses on a lot. And that is something a lot of my clients really struggle with, right? And, and, the, what, yeah, all, and what is a locus of control, just for people who, yeah, that, that, what does that term mean? It's what you believe you have control over and, and what you, the, you, do, you know, that you, what, focusing on what you have control over, but also believing that when crappy things happen, you do have some control over what that feels like. Um, so that, so understanding that you can respond to things differently. I mean, it's, it's the classic thing of this happens all the time in my street in New York. I look down in traffic, right. And there's people 
in their cars bopping around to the music and there's people honking on their horns and swearing. And it's just one of those situations like uh, that's it's amazing how much of you can tell about a human being, <laughs> right? When the same thing is happening to us, to, to a bunch of people and they're all responding differently. So recognizing that locus of control, what we have control over, what's happening externally out there that we don't have control over and don't need to feel bad and take on. Um, and then recognizing where we do have control um, to, to, to own the way that we respond to things that, 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 that's a huge part of resilience. It's daily work. You know, and she talks about that's like, sure, there are people that are more resilient and there are more people that are just naturally better at that. But so much of what it is to be resilient is a sort of um, focused work um, of thinking about what we, what we have control over. Um, you know, and finding meaning is part of resilience, which is part of what we do for a living, right? Is help people find meaning in what they're doing and what's happening. Um, this belief that everything happens for a reason can be really detrimental. Um, what the heck does that mean? Look, if you find your own meaning in terms of why some things, how, how is it going to serve you? What are you going to do with it? Um, a lot of really hard things happened to a lot of people this year. And to try to take on any universal meaning um, might not be as good for resilience as was, you know, how is this impacting me? And what does this mean for my life? And how am I going to get meaning out of this? Which, again, is a kind of locus of control, you know, sort of taking control of what's happening looking for the good stuff, you know, not necessarily having like this wearing rose colored glasses all the time, but what does it mean to be actively looking for what's happening around you? That's good and positive, whether it's that this person is in your life or that you have this particular safety net um, and being able to identify and focus on those things at times when you feel scared or out of control um, and being vulnerable is part of resilience, you know, being able to say, I need help. Um, having your, she uh, also talks about having a tribe, right? Who are your people? Who are your people that you go to that you can count on that know you? Talk about this in the authenticity chapter too. Like one of the great um, benefits of being authentic and being truly you is that you learn who responds to you. You learn who your people are because when you're being authentic, the people that love those qualities and things about who you are are attracted to you. Um, and then you've got your tribe. Uh, which which is also part of resilience. So that I guess what I really spoke to me that these things that I try to help my clients with and that I'm working on every day really are worth doing. And they're the things that create the foundation of, of resilience. Right. And so what are the what are the some of the practices or habits that you've developed then that you might be able to share with people that like you found have been really valuable, but be it in the, the, let's say the resilience area or or with uh, authenticity? Mm -hmm. There's a few I practice regularly. So for resilience, I think the locus of control thing is really important for, um, especially because I'm kind of a control freak. <laughs> so I mean, I think many of us are more than we realize. So it's like, all right, well, then what exactly is, is it that I'm trying to control? And is it serving me um, and my outlook right. and my ability to be who I want to be in the world and be the support system I'd like to be for other people? Um, so th I think a lot about that. Um, so that's just, also, just, yeah. sorry, go on. Just, no. So just in terms of the questions you're asking yourself, because often, it, you know, this, when we're doing this sort of self-question, self-coaching, yes. if you like, it's the questions mm -hmm. I ask myself. So it sounds like the question you're asking yourself is, um, you know, what am I controlling right here, right now? And, and is it serving, to, serving me, right? That's, yeah. is that, is that right? That, is it that serving like, me and who I want to be and how I want to show up? Right. Yeah, because I think a lot about that, how I want to be showing up in the world, because that's what I judge myself on. If I'm going to be awful to myself later, it's going to be because I didn't show up to a situation the way I wanted to show up. You know, I was maybe I was short or cranky or didn't ask enough good questions or what, whatever it is. So is, is what I'm focused. It's, it's like, what am I trying to control and what am I paying attention to mm. with in my time? And are those things helping me be who I want to be so that I can show up? To, in the world the way that I want to show up. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of things that I'm paying attention to are not, <laughs> are not right. So just, it's a, it's constant, right. Asking yourself these questions and I, especially in today's world with this sort of a, um, the competition for attention, mm. who's got it, who's winning, what am I paying attention to and what is that doing to me and my yeah. ability to show up the way that I want to show up? Um. So that that I, I think in the curiosity chapter, John talks about 
asking better questions. Um, and I'm, all, I'm a coach, right? So I'm always thinking about better questions, but it's, it's just something you can always get better and better and better at. It's kind of like, you know, how is it when you're a, a grown up? It's like the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. I feel yeah. Like as a coach, it's like the longer you coach, the more you realize there's just better and better and better questions <laughs> to be, you know, and 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 habits to be built that get you in the space to be supporting somebody else's growth. So I, I do think that the way in which your curiosity, I think a lot about am I staying in a state of genuine curiosity and wonder? Because that's another thing in coaching. And, you know, you can become outcome driven. Oh, you, you decide you think what this person needs or what they want or what's going on with them too early. And it keeps you from being in that state of genuine curiosity. So again, you know, to your point, like, what are you doing? I mean, I guess I, I guess I'm stopping myself, right. Or I'm noticing, yeah. Oh, I'm rushing to an outcome or I, I have too much of an idea of what's happening. And I, I think a lot about a state of wonder, <laughs> stay yeah. in a state of wonder, stay in a state of wonder. You don't know. You don't know. Enjoy that. Enjoy that you don't actually know. And if you think you know, okay, test it, test it, test it. Um, so there's a sort of discipline to that. Yeah, it's Even almost at a like, cocktail so it's, party, we can practice that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's almost the same thing, right? It's like, what am I trying to control? Because there's one thing you might be trying to control events and people, but also like controlling your own like mind in terms of trying to get to this outcome or that outcome or trying to work out what the next question is. Right, that in a sense is a form of self-control that we can also get let go of. It seems absolutely. I guess if you if you kind of like dug down to the bottom of all of this, that's what we're doing, right? Is just staying aware of what's happening in our brain and 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 how much we're trying to drive outcomes or um and 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 just continuing to try to be mindful and stepping back and letting go and letting things happen a little bit. Um, not letting things happen, but deciding, making choices, all of those, all of those moments where we're making choices, but we're not conscious that we're making a choice yeah. and being more deliberate about, wait, I can make a choice about what I ask, what I do, how I respond. What do I want to do here? Um, what's going to, what's going to be the most authentic, resilient, curious, playful way that I can respond to this, to this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about that, like just stepping, it's, it's faith. That's, that, that, that's the word that comes to me. It, it's just having f faith that if I let go, it, it's, mm. it's going to be for the best. It's, you know, and, it's, mm. and that's something I think I'm finding more and more is that, you know, just the more I can let go and surrender to the moment. And that always sounds cliche, doesn't it? But it, but there really is something in it. Then this magic happens, right? That we, if yeah. we can just let go. And it, yeah, and I think it that is. pertains it's, to it's, all of it's this. It's almost right? embarrassing as somebody in the training and coaching world, how often that's what you end, your, end up finding yourself saying, well, how do we, because people say, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? It's like, well, you have to stop and believe yeah. <laughs> that you can do something differently and that the world's not going to fall apart. Um, and you can call it faith or mindfulness or taking a pause or taking a breath or whichever cliche thing you've heard a thousand times. Mm, but that mm. is, in fact, a cliche because you have yeah. to do that. It is the baseline thing you've got to do to make anything else you want happen happen. Yeah. And I think and I sometimes ponder on that, like why I sometimes somebody picked me up on it in a, in a podcast like like I was like um, I think I used the phrase trust, trust the universe or something like that. And, and, and like immediately said, Oh, I know that's a cliche, but there, and it, and it had me thinking like, why are some of these phrases so taboo? And why do we feel so, so mm. conscious about using them, especially in a business context? And I think, you know, it's the sort of thing you might be able to say like in a church, say, but not in a, and I think there's something mm -hmm. about the business environments we've created for ourselves. Like we're all part of this that, that has those things be those, those ideas be taboo, but, but back to this driving and control you know, mm -hmm. idea. Because that you know the letting go, trust the universe, um, to have faith. You know these these sentiments are a little taboo because of the environments we create for ourselves in the workplace, and and so there is a kind of re-embracing of what we sometimes consider to be like taboo or or kind of quirky Ooh. language. Um, that we, I think that certainly I'm sure to speak to myself here that I've got to kind of integrate and say no, no, this is 
it's it's actually it's okay to use these phrases and that, mm-hmm. that's part of what we're talking about here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it seems like the business world is in the corporate world is it is sort of more and more open to to these ideas. I mean, Dr. Brene Brown has done a wonderful job, yeah. right? We are really talking about vulnerability in the workspace. Um, and, and of course, you know, she, in order to get people to talk about vulnerability, she, you usually have to first associate it with courage. And then people say, oh, it's the same thing as courage. Okay, I'll do that. Um, but but yeah, they they're do see growth mindset. I feel like is really making its way in the idea of of letting go of validation, um, encouraging effort instead of results. So there there's there is this this expansion. I feel like of the way in which we can talk in the business world. But it's still, as you say, it's still you bump up against these phrases and ways of thinking. You're like they're they're not ready for this yet. <laughs> yeah. But. But then that's what a lot of I think this book and other books are about is like, how can we translate these really fundamental things that make us human, that make us better, they make us more effective, they make the people around us more effective. Um, how do we translate that so that every everybody can hear us, even if they're not speaking some of that language yet? Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Isn't there? There's a kind of judiciousness of using language that's important. And, and of course, the more I self-censor, the more I create that world. Like it's both, right? And, and I've got to embrace all of these ideas and, and speak about them openly and not have them be awkward for myself in order for them to not be awkward for others. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah it's, that's it's right. Important. Yeah. And that's um, a big part of our job, job, I think is. The ideas are the same, really. You know, that the, the concepts that we're talking about, what makes us a better human in any context or environment, it's the same in the corporate world. We're just always trying to translate it so that they'll hear it and buy it and associate it with whatever outcomes <laughs> they're, they're working towards, right? Yeah. It's, it is, yeah. It's, a, it's a funny thing. Um, but yeah, so I think Eve, as I think about these different these these chapters and and the recommendations that we make to embrace or nurture our authenticity and playfulness and all of these, it, all, all of it requires pausing, stopping, paying attention. What are we doing? What's the habitual way in which I'm going to respond to this? And do I want to do something a little bit different? You know, and as kids, we don't have any of those habits formed yet. We haven't compartmented. We haven't put the whole world into boxes and compartments. You know, we haven't learned over and over again that this is a stupid question or that we should be doing this instead of this or that this is what this thing is for. Like all of those things that just, you know, in a sense, make us smaller. Um, We haven't learned any of that yet. So it's it's no a lot of it is stopping and noticing all of the ways we've habituated ourselves to respond and move through the world. Say this one's this one's working great, but this one's not working so well. Yeah, yeah. Stop and stop and reflect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, daily. And and of course, again, that's it's it it, that of course. I don't know if you hear it with your clients, but everyone seems to be zoomed out, right? You know, it's it's six seven zoom kills a day, and, and they're just. For all, I think there is space that kind of either at the end of the day, for people in a different way now to reflect. I think during the day, people are finding that, um, yeah, we're still, we've still oh, got that oh, pace, oh. you know, action orientation, you know, action. Even the even just when you said growth mindset, right? I think your way in a way that growth mindset idea is a Trojan horse because it's a it's a term that's sort of amenable to the business community. Right? Oh, yeah, right. Let's grow <laughs> that's more. That's true. No, you're but, right. But uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of that paradox, right? To grow, we have to stop. We do have to stop and pause and reflect, right? And uh, that it's how can we carve out time and just mm-hmm. just block out, you know, even on a practical level, like block time out in a day for this. Yeah, and even even to move a little bit slower through the day, even so that at the end of a meeting you can say, did I show up to that the way that I wanted to show up or what happened there? Or how, or like check in with yourself. Like, how am I feeling right now? Like we'll go from meeting to meeting to meeting. And by the end of the day, we're like anxious and a little bit annoyed. And we have all these things happening in our body. We don't know why, because we never stop to say, Oh, the thing that happened 
that's making my adrenaline go or the thing that happened that's making my cortisol rise or the thing that make is making me feel antsy, right? Is it me? Is it something I said? Is it something they said? Is it a feeling I have? Is it a responsibility that I don't want to have? Like, what is the thing mm. that's happening that's making me feel this stress? And, and unless you can identify that, you can't do anything differently to mitigate it. So I, I also think one of the things about this Zoom world and going from thing to thing to thing and then off like to this is take care of the kid, our kid, and then go back to the Zoom, and then we got to get the meal, and then we got to, and then we got to get this thing done, and we're having all of these psychological, emotional, physical reactions. We don't even know what's what, right? Yeah. Or what's causing what, or what's frustrating us, or what's the. Um, so it's just this mumbo jumbo of sort of bad, overwhelmed feelings um, that nobody knows to do what to do with. So as much as having like a chunk of time to reflect. I think it's it, it's about building in time throughout your day where you can just say, this is how I feel. And let me see if I can pinpoint why. Yeah. So that if I want to do something differently, or, or at least I can identify the source of my stress so that I can know when I go into that meeting, this person's going to trigger me. <laughs> so let me get myself ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Prepare for the trigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that makes sense. And and, and, and well, it relates to your earlier point about locus of control is like we we sometimes you know we can think oh, but I must do this and I must do, but but actually just stopping and pausing and saying well, hang on, do I you know taking control of my own my own diary and my own and like really checking in, do I really have to do that? You know, yes. could I could I skip that? Um, could I delegate that? Could I you know? And I think mm. almost like yeah doing that and able to create the space so that you can go slower and so that ultimately you can have more, more impact. Exactly. Um, And that I think is like leadership comes in a little bit there because that needs to be modeled. Yeah. One thing I'm really struck by when I coach people that are coming up in an organization is how desperately they need role models. I mean, they really do need to see the thing modeled to understand what it is, whether it's good leadership or work-life balance or, or what you're saying, you know, sort of creating space or how you delegate or say no. You have to see people around you also doing that to feel like you can do it. Culture is so strong. <laughs> right? So what is the culture telling you is okay and it's not okay? And is this culture telling me that unless I'm like, don't have time to use the bathroom during the day, I'm not working as hard as I can, or is this culture encouraging me to slow down, take care of myself, take a pause, maybe say no to some things so that I can use my energy better? Um, yeah, so I think leaders really have some responsibility to to be doing that so that other people see them doing it. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and almost because like, what something I, I hear a lot about people is, oh, I feel, I've got feel I've got lots of of plates spinning, especially as you get more senior in an organization. And I've got to, like, it's my job to keep all these plates spinning. And, and often I'm saying like, well, what if you just let a few crash? And that can be <laughs> yeah. like horrifying, right? For some people, but it's back to your control thing. Oh yeah, but they're not, mm-hmm. and, and then it's back to this, well, just take a leap of faith, right? Just take a leap of mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. That either it's not going to matter that that thing crashes or that somebody else will pick it up. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, that and which ones can you test? Maybe there's two plates where it's obviously you're not going to let those plates fall to the ground because there's, but of the 10 plates spinning, there's got to be two that you can experiment and see what happens if they crash. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and just do it and, and like, yeah, take that step out and, and then see what happens. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I had, I had exactly that conversation with someone like, Yeah. It's a little bit that, that thing we were talking about earlier. It's that worst case scenario thing of like, well, let's, what is the worst, worst thing that's going to happen here? Yeah. T- testing that out a little bit. Um, but I like, you know, and also along those lines, what you said earlier about the giving, the giving permission, you know, that, that all of these things, like if you go do that show and as we experiment with bringing more of some of this language into the corporate space, it's it's all opening up permission for more of us to be broader and bigger and more diverse and more nuanced. One of the things John talks about in the curiosity chapter, I don't know, have you read the book Range by David Epstein? No. no, it's, no. Quite, it's quite good. But he talks about this increasing need and all the evidence we have for the value of a broad range of experiences, skills, talents. Um, 
we in the corporate world, we've gotten pretty narrow. We get attached to expertise. And of course, there's there's a place for that. But in this volatile, complex, ambiguous world um, where we're uncertain of what we're going to need or, or, need, or need, need to invent or come up with next sort of broad range of experience, skills, um, knowledge is is really useful. Um, and it's really wonderful if you can be well versed in how to entertain a crowd and also how to land a joke and also how to coach somebody through a difficult business process and also that the believing in the value of of have, having that that broadness of range of skills again, then we model it for other people too. Like you can come into this business and you can add value um, and still nurture these ten things about yourself. Uh, you don't have to choose, which I think more and more people want. I think the generations coming up want want this more. Um, so I think there's something really wonderful about what you're talking about that, again, it's just another way that we give permission to others to be more fully realized and be more fully themselves when we do that, too, when we pursue yeah. you know, yeah. what we want and love. Right, right. We can say multitudes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. We can and like embrace embrace all of them. And and the 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 quite one of the quotes I wrote down from the book, and I actually posted it on LinkedIn. A jack of all trades is a master of Mm. none. And then that's what we we leave it there, right? But then in the book, Mm -hmm. you made the point that. But the rest of that quote is, but oftentimes better than a master of one, right? A master of uh, a jack of all trades might be better than a master of one, right? That's not Mm -hmm. something we we discuss. And uh, yeah. That's the point you're making. Yeah. And especially, I mean, things are just so complex and interwoven these days. So um, multiple ways of looking at things and understanding things is uh, clearly so, so valuable. Yeah. And to, t- yeah. And I think so being that, because, because and I, I, and I, I read that quote and I'm like, oh, thank God, right? Because I've always been a genius. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and that whole thing about mastery and like 10,000 hours, I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I can't imagine spending, you know, 10 minutes on one thing, like 10,000 hours, right? And so, yeah. <laughs> so or, or 100,000, whatever. And, and so, but, but yeah, that notion that actually just being pretty good at quite a lot of things might actually allow you to master some complex activity because you've got just enough skill in a range of areas mm-hmm. that, that actually allows you to be, you know, more effective than, you know, just, just being an expert in one. Exactly. Yeah. And certainly for leadership, you can see how that would pay off and that you can really understand the, the broadness of how all the pieces are going together better and understanding what different people are doing. Even if you don't understand every single detail that you can sort of broadly understand how all these pieces fit together and, create this outcome or um yeah and certainly for innovative ideas if you're going to innovation is very much i think dependent on our trust our faith that we don't have to have one set of expertise yeah and i also think it's kind of closer to our humanity and how we evolved if you think about it you know what what mm. if you if you go back to the environments we evolved in it, we couldn't just be good at like growing carrots right we would have had to have been good at like doing a bit of hunting and growing some vegetables and building the house and you know and there would have been a whole bunch of different things that we'd have to be pretty good at right and yeah. it would have actually been pretty rare for someone to um you know has survived in a in a in a tribe by through having only one skill yeah and then you have to adapt if the world changes something happens being able to adapt and if you're too locked into but this is what i do and this is how i do it um which would certainly impact your resilience um Yes, I think getting even getting to feel yourself be good at a variety of things and also just trying different things. And, you know, you think about growth mindset and what growth mindset is meant to nurture is our willingness to be wrong. It's our willingness to fall off, you know, to, to maybe not be the smartest person in the room sometimes, our willingness to, to, to try different things, put some effort in, even if it's even if we're not going to be the winner. Um, and every corporation or business I'm in is encouraging that. Like we need more people that are willing to try more things and don't need to be the smartest person in the room all the time. And um, so a lot of that has to do with doing it, just do, doing it and modeling it, you know, to, which I guess is what we're talking about, like modeling. Oops, I tried that. That didn't work out so well. Um, let me try this. Let me play around with this thing over here and see how that goes. 
Yeah. Have you got any stories from from that in your own life recently, like stuff you played and failed at or or like had experiences of trying some of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way I'm, you know, when you're uh, facilitating groups and coaching individuals, there are little paths that I <laughs> that I try sometimes. They're all, maybe let me drop this story and see how that goes. Or even even something like, uh, you know, the extent to which you share your own personal experience versus not. Yeah. I'm always kind of testing testing those things and what's working, what stories land. Um, how much, you know, what, what stories of mine land, what stories about the world land, um, you know, the zoom has created a lot of, you know, trying to make a group work in zoom and trying different things. And yes, yeah, and things have definitely clunked, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the extent to which you maybe put, even put people on the spot, you know, it's all of these little, that's, that's, I'm sure there's bigger things, but, I, I feel like my work, which I think is similar to yours, it requires a sort of constant experimentation. And one thing that I think is really important about experimenting with the way that you're doing things and whether it's working, how effective it is, is the ability to then reflect without punishing yourself, right? The ability to say, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> Here's what I want to do differently next time and move on. Um, and sometimes I get trapped in that didn't work. Why did I do that? Ah, I hate myself today. Right. And then you're yeah. like down in this other, other useless spiral that makes you not want to try something new again. And if, if you're, if, if you're punishing yourself every time it goes wrong, it makes you less brave. It makes you, oh, I don't want to feel like this again. So I'm just going to play it safe. I'm just going to do what I know what works. So the ability to kind of reflect and self-assess and say, oh, didn't like that. Okay. And this is almost where the playfulness comes in, right? Let me just yeah. be light and playful with myself. That was terrible. Congratulations, Karina, for trying that. Um, tomorrow you're going to do this. Now I'm going to go make myself a nice cup of something. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like being able to the self-talk, right? And I, I think I, I saw a study with, I think they did it with kids where they were trying to get, kids were trying to learn, I think, to carry a bucket of water, like, a, you know, between two points. And they found that the kids who could get who, who, whose skill acquisition was quick was quicker. The main determinant of like speed of skill acquisition was actually uh, the internal monologue. The kids who were like, ah, oh, well, you know, the bucket spilled. Who cares? Or, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the bucket, right? Those kids who, who never laid it on themselves mm. acquired skills much more quickly than the kids who were like, oh shit, how am I going to do it? Right, I need to do. You know, who were in an internal monologue about all the things they'd done wrong. Um, yes. know, they they uh, didn't didn't acquire the skills so quickly. Um, I love that. There is a little bit about that in the, in the, in the resilience chapter, that sort of ability mm -hmm. to quickly be like, that's the thing that that's not me. That's this circumstance or situation. Yeah. But and of yeah, course the so kind of, and there's an interesting paradox there because of course the other, the, 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 then when it comes to mastery, there, there is a need to have like total self ownership. So it, you, it, it, right. it, like you've got to be able to do right. Both things. You've got to take full responsibility yeah. and not beat yourself up. <laughs> like it's, yeah. It's a delicate balance. It's very hard yeah. being human, which is why you have this podcast, because we have to talk about it a lot to get it. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of talking about being human. It's it, There's no, it's, it's forever, forever work to find yeah. the balance that, that works best. But oh man, is our self-talk important? Yeah. And you were mentioning stories there and you do, talk, you, there's one story you share in the book about, about your niece um, is that, you know, in the authenticity chapter, mm -hmm. is it worth just, just sharing that now? I just, well, she, um, I mean, it's a sweet little story. You know, she's three years old and we're walking down the street and her, just her <laughs> brazen, you know, we had, we'd had ice cream. She sees two ladies having ice cream cones and just, and she's just delighted about, Oh, we just had ice cream too. What, what, what flavor are you have? What flavor is that? You know, and, and gets to this company, they say, Oh, chocolate chip. And they try to walk on oh, my name's Adeline. What's your name? And she says the name and then that, and what's your name to the older lady? And that lady says, my name's Grammy. I'm her Grammy. And Adeline flips out. My niece just, ah, that's my Grammy. You guys are twins. We, her name is Grammy too. And, and the, the, just going from 
of these grown-ups just kind of minding their business to just all of us on the street together laughing, enjoying this energy that this three-year-old brought to us. You know, to me, it was just such a reminder of what we all have the potential and power to do for each other every day, which is just bring a new that was just her authenticity. It was her delight. It was her her desire to connect, her curiosity, right? All of those things made her just stop. And may, she literally put her body in front of them and made them stop walking, you know, so that she could talk to them and ask them questions and then find a common connection and then delight in the connection. And, you know, of course, with that, none of us are going to do quite that thing, but we have the potential, to do that thing every day for each other, to change a moment, to change a dynamic, to change the energy with our curiosity, with our wonder, um, by being willing to be a little bit more of our delighted uh, selves. So, yeah. Yeah. That, and that, so that, that, that's kind of what that story was about. With how, you know, what, how many times a day are we choosing not to do that? And when is there an opportunity to do it that we can maybe make a different choice and do it? Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's so, yeah, how can we delight people? That's a great, yeah, how can and I delight people? Curiosity is a great way to unleash that. You know, what are you wondering about? What can you ask somebody? What can you dig into? Um, where is your curiosity and wonder taking you? It's so fun to see a grown up go, <gasps> you know, to be, to be delighted or um, surprised by something we go through our days. It's like some of us go through our days and we're never, ever surprised by anything. And that's why we love kids. Cause if you've got, yeah. you know, you've got those four-year-olds, right. Probably they bring you something surprising every day. Yeah. Like I love one of them loves dogs and they'll always just exactly as you, you described on these, you'll just stand in front of someone who's walking their dog, like stand in the middle of the pavement. The father be like, what's your dog called? <laughs> <laughs> you know, who are you called? How's the dog? How old are you? <laughs> yeah. What colour is your bedroom? Right? Yeah, it's just all there. Like, yeah. and of course, it just immediately calls. Well, for yeah, for most, for the vast majority of people, it causes them, you know, delight and they love it. And of yeah. course, some of them are so shocked. You know, that they're, they're so. And I know this is judgmental, but it, my story about them is that they're so kind of cocooned, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of in their own mm-hmm. ego that they just can't respond and. um you know, I think that's the, yeah, the process over, that. over time that can happen to people, right? That's right. Yeah. And again, it's we don't have to jump in front of people. <laughs> but but how can we test? What's the grown up version of that? What's, what's the way in which we can test? And maybe somebody that appears to be sort of shut off or cocooned is just waiting for someone to crack the edges of that. Um, and what are the ways that we can that we can test that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great contribution to the world, really, if you can, you know, help put a little, a little crack in some of those cocoons for people that are actually, you know, probably actually craving connection, but don't quite know how to do it. I think for those of us that do know how to do it and are a little bit more comfortable creating that connection, it's kind of our job, (laughs) you know, to, to find ways to get to more humans that, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good thought, actually, because sometimes I, I'm just sort of looking at myself. Yeah, sometimes I'll just write people off and be like, oh, you know, they're, they're, I can't I can't connect. It's just sort of forget it. But yeah, of course, there probably is always a way, right? There's always a way of finding that chink and that that way in if we persist. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's yeah. one of the ways that we can be surprised, I think, as grown-ups is, is when we get through to people that we don't think we can get through to or realizing that somebody is so much more thoughtful or interesting than we thought they were. Yeah. And, and it just reminds me of a story, a story I think I've shared on this podcast before, but there was one, one person I was working with a company and there was, there was one person in this team who we just couldn't engage in anything. Like, you know, just, just didn't want to do it. You just didn't want to engage in anything. And this, this went on for about a year, basically, you know, best part of a year and just, and then, and then we, tr- there we, this is a great example of what you're talking about. And we tried Lego serious play, you know, the technique we get people playing with Lego and we built this mm. model of what the future might be. And everyone was playing with models. And this woman produced the most wonderful model, like this innate <laughs> Lego model. Um, and I can still remember details of it. She'd put an owl on, on the top of one of the turrets of this one. And this was like several years ago. And she, she just totally came alive in this excellent exercise. She, she built it and then she was able to talk about it and, and really involve. Yeah. And that was, that was being playful. I mean, we didn't, 
design this to try and get her engaged. It just happened that way. But that all came out of, you know, a bit of courage for me to say, well, let's mm-hmm. just try on this like Lego technique with this group. And, and, and certainly like the playfulness and the curiosity, is this going to work? And then everyone getting involved. And then, yeah, this, yeah, this, we got this mm-hmm. contribution and it was a great contribution from this woman. No other way have we found uh, to engage her. Yeah. And it's a wonderful example. And play plays the thing that unleashed her. Yeah. A little bit, which might've been the last thing you would expect um, for her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was, and yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. one of my favorite things about this profession, I think is being surprised by people. And when you do reach somebody or get through, you know, see, see somebody, um, open up or have a realization or just being surprised, just having an idea about who somebody is and what they're capable of and thinking you, you think you've got their number and then they just surprise you. We need that. I really think grownups need to be surprised by each other regularly, or we just get too many ideas about all the boxes that we've put people in. We get, we get sort of affirmed that, Oh yeah, all my boxes and files are correct. <laughs> this is where everybody goes. Right. We just need to have those busted up. <laughs> yeah. Like just let go of that story. Yeah. Like, cause we all end up with little stories about everyone in their lives. Like, this person's like that. She's like that. She's, he's like this. Yeah. Exactly. Letting go of those and just like staying in wonder, staying in curiosity, staying playful. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's the life. Yeah. In some ways, that's a lifetime's work. But yeah. So it's what you're pointing to. It seems. I think it's all lifetime work. And, you know, and then finding ways to make that lifetime work, not feel daunting, you know, which is why the mm. course self-talk thing is so important. It's like, how can we play around with these things and talk to ourselves and experiment in, in ways that keep us able to work on these things without shutting down or exhausting ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, of course, is once you're in this, the more I can stay in a state of wonder, the more nothing's exhausting, right? Just life energizes that's me. That's right. I, yeah. 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 And uh, I know that there's sort of the great yogis and so on, you know, through history or great sages have seemed to have boundless energy. And I think that's part of it. It's just like every, every, every moment is, mm. is something to cherish. It's, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And there's so many ways and frameworks um, to think, to think about these things, but hopefully, you know, the book is focused on superpowers, which is kind of fun right? We wanted it to be, it's, it's focused on kids, which are fun. And it's focused on superpowers and superheroes, which I know is very American. Um, but, uh, but the, uh, hopefully that makes it just sort of to, to your point about language and what we can process and what feels usable. I, I think it, it's a fun read and, and pretty accessible in terms of just some, some tools and things, some things you can try. Um, that, that will hopefully unleash these, these qualities in, in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I totally agree with that. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah, accessible. It's fun. There is, there are some science, there is some science and it's of course it's illustrated as well. You've got some, some cartoons <laughs> yeah, in there. Some little, some little Cause if you're going to write a book about superheroes, you got to put some comic strips in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go with great. It. Okay. You. Is there anything we've missed? Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we've not, not explored? Um, no, I just wanted to be in conversation about the book and, and the concepts in the books. And it's been super fun to to share some of these ideas with you. And um, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation and the time. I hope everybody can um, I, I don't know. I, I, the, play, the playfulness is what's in my mind right now. It's like maybe just move. It's the beginning of my day. So I'm just thinking I want to go into this day and sort of be more playful with yeah. the way that I approach people and things. And I, I, it really feels like even that, even just that intention, of, I'm going to be a little lighter and more playful today. Well, could absolutely change uh, what a day feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, touche. Okay. Well, that's, let, that, that sounds like a great, great uh, message to end on. So uh, yeah, Karina, thank you so much. Um, we'll put a link to the book. Uh, and to your, what's the name of your, your, oh, the J, J M Reed group, group right? Mm-hmm. So we'll, yes. we'll also link out to that yeah. for people who want right. to connect with you. Thank uh, you. 
Excellent. All right. What a great way to start the day. I really appreciate uh, being with you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Although I think yours is almost over. Yeah. Well, no, it, we've just passed lunchtime. So yeah, I've still got oh, okay. um, All right. an afternoon. Math still is got... not my forte. <laughs> I'm good at other things. <laughs> yeah. Six hours. That's okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've still got plenty of adventures, including getting my boys to bed, which is always um, playful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. I know all about that bedtime routine. Yeah, more playful <laughs> than we want usually. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, thanks so much. Great. Yeah. Thank and, you, uh, Richard. What a pleasure to be with you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, thank you. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to First Human dot com